following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. If you've ever gone out and you've enjoyed the beauty of the sun coming up over the Atlantic, or you've looked on the other side of the island and enjoyed the sunset as it goes down and just the majestic beauty of it, or you, like me, enjoy sitting around sometimes in the evening and listening to music or considering the beauty of art, you know that it stirs something in you. There's something that it touches within you that, that the event itself never fully satisfies. That you, that, that you know that there's something beyond that sunrise. You know that there's something uh, beyond that birth of the child that you hold in your arms. There's something uh, beyond, and it is raised up within you. But it's not quenched. Because what's happening within you at that moment, what's happening within us is the beauty of this world, the beauty of art, the beauty of music, the beauty of creation is touching on something that is in our very DNA and in our our hardwiring, a longing, a longing for something beyond this world. That's why it's so damning and damaging when you take an event, any singular event, and you make a statement like this. And we've all said it at one time or another. There's something that goes kind of like this. Oh, I wish this moment could last forever. You've just destroyed the moment. You have asked of that moment to do more than it was ever designed to do. And you've crushed it under the weight of your expectation. What that moment was designed to do, what that experience was designed to do, was to stimulate within you, to bring forth within you something that as you looked around in the creation and you looked around within your relationships and you looked around within this world, you realized as good as all of this is, it can't settle this down. There has to be something more. In the introduction to our um, Advent devotional, there's a quote that I put there from C.S. Lewis from his, his collection of writings. And I hope that you uh, read Lewis and I hope that you read Tolkien and I hope that you read some of these other great men and women uh, who have gone before us and have written some things. If you're a Tolkien or Lewis fan, coming up in January, I hope you'll take advantage of our 360 seminar, which is looking at their writings that Andrew uh, Shank is going to be leading. But Lewis wrote this in The Weight of Glory. He says, for glory meant good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy. But it is the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. What great language. The healing of that old ache. The healing of, of, a, of a knowledge within us. Of a desire within us that has been there before we were even created, that it's there. Lewis says in another place, 
that heaven uh, is that faint melody that we were born remembering. That we were born with this in us. And all of our lives we are going around trying to meet those longings. And for so many of us, we are sadly and grossly disappointed with what the world has to offer. For beauty, for art, for intimacy, for truth, for being governed, to be ruled, to be healed, and to be made whole, or for what comes afterwards. So in this series that we're beginning of longings, that's what we're going to touch on. We're going to look and see how Jesus Christ coming into the world satisfies our deepest longings for love, to be considered beloved, to, to be loved and to be able to love, to, be, to know truth, to know that we can know, to know that there is a truth with a capital T and we don't have to debate it, uh, that we can know it and we can found our very lives upon it, that we can live without fear, we can be incredibly courageous because we know truth, that we know that, uh, that we need to be governed, we, we know that we cannot be given over to ourselves to live in a society uh, of anarchy. That we can listen to John Lennon and think that his song is beautiful, but to imagine a world where there is no heaven and no hell, to imagine a world uh, where there is no government, it is a world of absolute chaos. It's a world of dictatorship. It's a world of destruction given over. And we know that we need to be ruled by one who is a king, who is both the lion and the lamb, a different sort of king than we ever could have imagined. We know that we're broken. And that our bodies and our minds and our souls, that our culture and society are broken. And we want to be healed. And we look for healing and we look for all of these things. We want the latest P90X uh, that's going to finally get us into shape. Uh, that we're going to find the cure. We're going to take the pill. Uh, we're going to run that extra mile and then everything's going to be made right. And yet our bodies still give out. And we don't know how to find ultimate healing. And we do know deep down inside. We know that this world is not our home. That we're designed for something else. That it's good here, but there's got to be something more than this. We talked about that in Ecclesiastes, that there has to be something beyond the sun. Because if this life is all that there is, then vanity of vanities, all of life is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. You'll chase and chase and never be satisfied. But what we're going to do and what we're going to try to do uh, together over the next several uh, weeks, I'm excited to share this series uh, with Andrew Shank who's going to t preach for us one Sunday and Doug Langhouse is going to preach for us one Sunday in this six-week series that we're going to hear that Jesus Christ came into the world for the distinct purpose of meeting all of our deepest longings in himself. That he came in to give us something that has been lost in the fall. And we can look everywhere else. And God in his great mercy to us. And it is a mercy of God. A severe mercy of God. That he takes away the satisfaction from the other things of this world. That they may satisfy for a moment. And they may feel good for a moment. But the hangover comes. That the hurt comes. That the pain comes. That the unquenchable uh, thirst rises back up. Because God's trying to say it was never designed for that. 
Come to me. Come and turn to me. So today, we're going to be looking at our need for love, our need to be loved, and how Christ coming into the world meets that need for us. The writer, the writer Gerald May wrote this about love. He says, there is a desire within each of us, in the deep center of ourselves, that we call our heart, that we were born with it. It is never completely satisfied and it never dies. We are often unaware of it, but it is always awake. It is the human desire for love. Every person in this earth yearns to love, to be loved, to know love. Our true identity, our reason for being, is to be found in this desire. Love is the why of life, why we are functioning at all. I am convinced it is the fundamental energy of the human spirit, the fuel on which we run, the wellspring of our vitality. And grace, which is the flowing creative activity of love itself, is what makes all goodness possible. Love should come first. It should be the beginning of and the reason for everything. There's some points in there that may go a little too far. But I think he caught the essence of the truth is that deep down at the very core of who we are, we have a desire and a deep longing to know that we're loved. To know that we are lovely, lovable, or to use the good biblical word, beloved. That we have the love of another bestowed on us. And that in the eyes of someone, somewhere, they look at us with absolute, deep and profound affection and love. That is easier for a woman to maybe admit and to understand. But men, if you're honest with yourself, you know that's the deepest truth within you as well. We mask it in other ways, in masculine terms. But at the heart of even the man's heart, because it's a human heart, is that desire to know that we're loved. For most of us men, we spend the entirety of our lives trying to prove to our fathers uh, that we deserve their love. And we had dads who were great dads, but they didn't really show us or speak to us love. I hear from men all the time. Well, you know, my dad, he just was one of those men who just never said he loved me. But I knew he did. Like, well, how did you know he did? If he never told you he did, how did you know he did? Well, you know, he showed it in other ways. He provided for my family. But there's deep down always that question within the human heart, the male heart, the female heart. Am I loved? Am I loved? And so today in the few moments that we have together, we're going to explore that. And I'm going to introduce for you uh, this. The reason that that is there is that's how you were designed. Uh, That need is not a bad need. Uh, The desire for love, the longing for love, the need for love is not a bad need. It is a created need within us. Now, the manner in which we go about, we'll look at, uh, fulfilling that need and fulfilling and satisfying that longing, that's when we get into trouble. But God has created us and designed us. The first thing that we'll see together, God has designed us with a longing or a need for love. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn over uh, to, first, or to Genesis uh, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll see that we were designed with this love uh, hardwired into our very being, beginning with verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is, within the likeness of 
the Trinity, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And if you flip over to a further explanation of that and a different look into that same thing into chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, God said after he had created Adam, he said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's very word. So that first thing that we see is that God created us to be loved and to love. That God created us to be loved and to love. That we were created in the image of a God who had within himself a perfect loving relationship within the members of the Godhead. That there was a perfect love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, hopefully you do, from our recent study in the book of Mark, uh, looking at Mark's gospel of Jesus Christ, in the very beginning, when Jesus came and he was beginning and inaugurating his public ministry, the voice of the Lord spoke from heaven down about his son and said this, You are my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and James and John and Peter were there with him, with Moses and Elijah, again the voice, but this time discernible, said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There was a love and an affection and a deep intimacy between God the Father and God the Son that is so deep, it was part of who they were. If you go into John 17 in the high priestly prayer and how Christ was describing his relationship with his father of a deep unity and a deep love and a profound relationship. He said that was that relationship within the Godhead. And now it says that we, humanity, were created in his image. That we bore one of those characteristics which was the characteristic of love. That we were to love God tend to be loved by God. That's what we were designed. That's how we were designed. It says Adam and Eve enjoyed that in the garden. They walked in the cool of the evening. That they were there with God. That there was no barrier between them and God. It was deep intimacy. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing in between them. Just the relationship. Pure, loving relationship between God and man. 
But we were also designed to love one another and to be loved by one another. For it said that God realized after he had made Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be here and to have all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the sky and all the fish of the sea and to have no one for him. So he caused Adam to fall asleep and he took a rib out of Adam and he created Eve and he gave Eve to Adam and they became husband and wife and they became one flesh. And Adam's first response was the first poetry in all of the world when he said, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. Wow. It's basically what he said. He looked at her and he just said, wow. And God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall become one. Their lives and their souls, uh, they are interwoven together as husband and wife. And it's a powerful relationship of love. And it said, interestingly in there, and it said, Adam and Eve stood in front of one another and they were naked and there was no shame. There was nothing in between them. I mean, you know the difference from the good southern uh, writer and theologian, Louis Grizzard, who said the difference between naked and naked. Naked is you don't have any clothes on, and naked is you don't have any clothes on, and you're up to something. And so <laughs> they were, half of you, most of you don't have any idea who Louis Grizzard was, uh, but uh, a few of you do. The rest of you Google it. And those, those who know who Louis Grizzard is don't know what Google is. So it's a nice balance uh, uh, in the midst of that. But they were naked in front of one another. And there was no shame. There was deep intimacy without fear, without recoiling. That's how they were made. And it's interesting when Jesus in the New Testament was asked by uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trick him. And they said, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to get him to pick one out of ten so they could say, oh, so you're saying the other nine aren't important. Jesus said, here is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You were designed to love God. You were designed to be loved by God. You were designed to be in a loving relationship with God. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Return into a deep intimacy with one another because that's how you were made. The greatest gift that we've been given is the created part of us that says you were designed to be loved and to love others. And that's why we have such a passion for love because it's there. It's deep down within us. So your desire to be loved, your, your hope of being loved, your, your want of being loved by someone else and to be able to show love to someone else doesn't make you crazy. It makes you human. That's part of the imago Dei, if you will, of the image of God that is implanted upon you. That's who you are. So the desire to love and to be loved is a good thing. But something happened. Chapter 3 of Genesis happened. It says that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which God had told them and told Adam specifically. said, Adam, don't eat of it for when you eat of it, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Death will enter into the world. Something foreign will enter and it will catastrophically fragment the image that I have in you forever. And you'll be broken and you'll be cast out 
And Adam didn't believe him. And Eve ate and gave to her husband who was at her side. Some of you women went through a study recently, I believe. And the writer of that study said that Adam was nowhere around Eve when she fell. That's not right. It says in the original that Eve gave to her husband who was at her side, at her elbow. And Adam was there. And unfortunately, as Larry Crabb said, he was silent. And men have been silent ever since. The silence of Adam. And when they fell, what was the very first thing that they did? They hid themselves. It says that they hid themselves. Both they, they needed to cover themselves. It says that they were naked in front of one another, which they had been just earlier, with no shame and no guilt. But now they were naked and there was shame and there was guilt had entered. The relationship was broken. And it says in chapter 3 that God came as he would seemingly regularly in the evening, in the cool of the mist, to be with them and to engage them and to be in uninhibited relationship with them, in that uninhibited loving relationship. And he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve were hiding in the bushes. And they came out. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, we knew that you were coming and we hid ourselves. What had happened? Now that deep, beautiful picture of love had been broken and fragmented. And that they were hiding for the rest of their lives. Our fig leaves have become more complex. They look like houses and cars and cosmetic surgeries and clothing and diplomas and all the different things that we have. But all they are are simply very complex more mature fig leaves where we try to hide behind them to say that we're valuable, that we have love, that, that we're worthy of love, that we have these things and we're okay. We try to hide our shame. We try to hide those things which may keep somebody else from loving us. We try to hide uh, and manipulate those things which may keep us from loving other people. And so the rest of our lives, this brokenness has entered in. And it says that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And they went out. And they wandered. And you can see the breakdown of relationship over and over and over again. The Old Testament and all of human history is a sad testament to man's desire to love and to be loved, gone astray and gone awry. And so what was so perfectly and beautifully given to us has now been distorted and broken through the fall. It's been fractured. We still have a need to be loved. We still have a desire to be loved. But then now, because of the fall, the effects of it, we go and we try to satisfy that desire with other things. It's not wrong for us to want to be loved by our spouses, is it? All those of you who are married, it's a good thing. You want to be loved by your spouse. If you have children, uh, you want your children to love you. And if you're a child in a family, you would like your parents to love you. Those are reasonable desires. Those are reasonable longings. But what's happened in us, because of the distortion of the fall, our need for love has become so demanding that we will absolutely crush folks in our lives. We will crush people in our lives in order to get the love that we so desperately need. That we are asking of them things that they were never designed to give us. If you go and ride around on the back roads uh, in the low country, 
and you head out and cross I-95 and you go into the back roads of South Carolina over towards Barnwell or up towards Bamberg, uh, there's these great little roads. And you'll come across these old um, bridges. And on an old bridge, on an old country road, there's normally a little sign next to it. And it says, max capacity, X amount of tons. It's basically saying this, this bridge was designed to handle this much tonnage. And if you put too much tonnage on that bridge, uh, it will begin to crack and falter. The first truck that goes across it may not crush it, but it will begin to fracture it. The second one, a little bit more, until eventually it looks like it's okay, but it is so fractured and fragmented that one more bit of weight on it will absolutely crumble it. You should look at your relationships and hold up next to it a sign that says, designed for this much weight and this much weight only. Husbands, your wives were never designed to bear the weight of your soul. They were never designed to satisfy your deepest longing for love and affection. Wives, you need to look at your husbands and see next to them that they were never designed to satisfy your deepest longings. That you can look at your children and you need to see within them the beauty of what they are. The gift that they are given to us as parents. But we have to view them with that sign next to them. This much weight only. Because what happens and children back to their parents and friends towards friends and school and diplomas and all of that have to have these weight limit signs on them. Because here's what happens. Because of the fall, what we do is we look around and we demand life and we demand satisfaction from these things that are around us. And we crush them to the ground. We squeeze them for everything that's in it. And when it doesn't meet the need that can never be met, then what do we normally do? We discard them or we begin to hate and resent them. Because they didn't meet our needs. And we resent the very things that we were, we were supposed to gain love from and to give love to. But that's part of that distortion of the fall. But that's what happens within loving relationships. That we crush because of this need for love. The parents are so... I, I'm telling you, I've said it before. I'm going to start a class. Uh, we're going to do a 360 seminar. It's going to be called Parenting 360. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk in and you're going to say, Hi, I'm Bill McCutcheon and I've been a parent for 22 years. Uh, It's going to be Parents Anonymous. Because as a parent, you get worn out. Because you look at your kids and you are so desperate for them and you want for them and all. But then what you find deep underneath is this sinister underbelly. And this sinister underbelly is this. I have so attached my life to yours. I have so attached myself to you that if you fail, I'm a failure. If you don't love me back the way that I think that I have to gain love from you, then I resent you and I want to control you more and I want to do this more. And it's this horrible pattern. It's so seen in families that it's seen in marriages and in breakdowns of all of these things. But it comes from the fall. It comes from this pattern of love that we've been given That says we were designed to be loved. We so want to be loved. And to be said that we're beautiful or valuable. I remember a conversation one time with a friend. I was with Youth with a Mission out in Hawaii. And a bunch of us were out there and we'd spent three months together. And we were about to go overseas and minister. I was heading to Malaysia and Thailand. And there was... Uh, a girl on one of the teams 
and she was a beautiful young woman, and she was there, but she, something wasn't, some, something wasn't right in her world. And one night, we were having a prayer meeting, and we were talking and praying for one another and reading scripture, and I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was encouraging me to say to this young woman, just to simply say to her, with nothing else attached, you're beautiful. You just need to know that you're beautiful. And I said that to her. I didn't want to date her. I didn't want to go out with her. It was just simply a statement that I felt like the Lord was leading me to say to this woman. And she broke down into the biggest mess of tears that I've ever been around. And in talking later, here was this 20-year-old young woman who for 20 years had so desperately wanted someone to affirm that she was beautiful and that she was worthy of love and that she had something to offer. She had given herself away so desperately in the world. She had come out of a lifestyle of drug addiction, uh, of high-priced prostitution in L.A., and had come to know Christ as she was dying from an overdose. And God had restored her life. But the one thing that she didn't believe was that she could be loved. She still couldn't believe that. Folks, all of us have that seed somewhere down in us. Is that desperate need to be loved. For some of you, you have entered into marriage for the express purpose of saying, I need to be loved and I will marry anyone. I'll marry the first guy who comes along. I'll marry the first girl who comes along. And I'll marry him and I'm going to be loved. And I try to tell single people, be very careful. Marriage can be the loneliest place that you've ever found yourself. Because then you're in a committed relationship with someone who doesn't love you. But we go headlong into these things. And we go headlong into relationships. The numbers are staggering within the world of how many relationships and sexual encounters. uh, And all happen uh, to people before they enter into a committed marital relationship. Because they're desperate to seek and to find love. And God knew that about us. And he gave an answer. And here's the answer. The advent of Jesus Christ is God's greatest statement to say to you, I love you. If you've ever wondered if you are loved, then celebrate Advent. If you've ever wondered if God loves you as he loves his son, that God wants to have and desires to have a restored, loving relationship with you, look no further than the manger in Bethlehem. Look no further than the incarnation. Because in John, 1 John 4, 9, it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Do you want to know and believe? Do you want to hear that God loves you? There it was. The love of God is manifest in this, that he sent his son into the world. That he sent Christ into the world. He said, I want to show you how much I love you. I want to show you that you are the object of my affection. I want to show you this. So I'm sending my beloved son into the world to love you. For God so loved the world. What? That he sent his son. For God so loved you that he sent Christ for you. If you've ever wondered, if your spouse can't tell you, that they love you. 
If your parents can't tell you that they love you, if your children can't tell you that they love you, if your friends have a difficult time expressing their love for you, God never does. Because right here in these 66 books is written over and over and over again God's declaration of His love for you. Do you want to know how much God loves you? He sent His Son to you. The one whom He said, I am so pleased in you. I am so pleased in you, Christ. That intimacy that God had with His Son and the Son had with His Father. Philippians 2 said this, that Christ did not consider it a thing to be grasped, but He'd emptied Himself, taking on the form of humanity and coming into the world. That Christ said, I'm willing to lose some of that relationship with my Father for a season of time. I'm willing to lose some of that intimacy that I had with the Father from all eternity. And I'm willing to do it because I want to show the world and out of the world those whom my Father has given me how much I love them. So if you are wondering if you're loved, This season in the church calendar is for you. Look at the manger and see that the love of God was made manifest. What do you do when you love someone? What are you about to do in 25 days? You are going to have a tree and you're going to have something around the tree and under the tree and hanging uh, on Uh, mantles around, you're going to have gifts, right? Because if you love someone, you give them a gift. That's what happens. By the way, men, that is what happens in relationships. You give gifts. And if you have to put little reminders on it, that's fine. Uh, Women, don't get upset. If your husband is putting a reminder to give you a gift, that's a good thing. But we give gifts to one another. And God says, out of my love for you, Out of my passion and my desire to restore what was broken in the fall. To restore and to remove for once and for all, all of those fig leaves. You don't have to hide from me anymore. I'm sending you a gift. For the gift of God is His Son. That He is sending His Son into the world. Not to judge the world, but to redeem the world. Christ said, I came into the world to show my Father's love to you. That's awesome. That's good news. You need to hear that. So if you are questioning whether your spouse loves you, here's the sad truth. They may or may not. If you're wondering whether your children love you or your parents love you, the reality of human relationships is this. They may or may not. And in whatever state you find yourself within those human relationships, you need to constantly come back to one place that says without a shadow of a doubt, Hear this, I love you. Your heavenly Father absolutely adores you. And he is willing to give the most vital and precious gift that he could ever consider giving. His very son, his very self, he was giving to you because you are that valuable to him. And so what you have to do to meet that deepest need is look is look. Because, you see, the love of God is not, it's not some pithy statement. It's not some theory. The love of God has a name. And His name is Jesus Christ. And so I'm not inviting you into some kind of complex 
philosophy. I'm not inviting you into a religion. I'm inviting you into a relationship with God the Father who says, come to me through my Son and let Him cover you and let Him clothe you and let Him love you. Let me love you through Him. And here's the beauty of what happens as we wrap up. When you begin to believe that, when you begin to receive that, Augustine said this, the great uh, church father, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, he said this, our hearts will be restless within us until they find their rest in God. You're saying this, until you come and find your rest in God, until you find that longing begun to be satisfied in God, that you have been loved by Him, you'll constantly be restless. You'll constantly be going about trying to satisfy your longings with trivial things, with things that never satisfy, which things that we talked about in Ecclesiastes are cotton candy of cotton candy. All of life is cotton candy. It looks good, tastes okay, but then it's gone and leaves nothing but dissatisfaction and decay. But God is inviting you in, and he says this, know that I love you in Christ. And then this miraculous thing happens. You can enjoy all those other relationships. All of a sudden, the pressure's off of your marriage. The pressure is off of your kids. The pressure is off of your education. The pressure is off of your job. The pressure is off because then you can look at your beloved. You can look at your spouse and you can say to them, I love you. And I can receive the broken love that you can give to me and not demand more than that because I have been loved by one who's loved me perfectly. You can show grace and extend mercy. You can say to your kids, it's okay to mess up. And kids, you can say to your parents, it's okay to mess up. You realize that both parents and kids are absolutely terrified of each other. They are. Parents don't know what to do with kids and kids don't know what to do with parents. And what the gospel says is this, the pressure's off. And if you're a young person and you're dating, it takes the pressure off having to be in a relationship. It takes the pressure off of having to find intimacy in some other place. It's said that men will offer love in order to get sex and girls will offer sex in order to get love. But it's this deep desire to be loved, to hear someone say, I love you. And you are willing to prostitute your very soul just to hear those words. And Jesus Christ is trying to say to you, I am the Father's declaration to you that I love you. You don't have to look anywhere else for it. Look at the manger. Isn't that good news? So today, we'll end with this. Your longing for love is a good thing. What you need to do is examine it. What you need to do is ask the questions. Where am I going? To find this longing met. Where am I going to get my needs satisfied? And if it's anywhere other than Christ. It'll lead to disappointment and dissatisfaction. Let Christ satisfy your love. Your longing for love. And come and be made whole in him. Let's pray. Father thank you. Thank you that your love for us was manifest in your sending Jesus Christ into our lives. Father, there are some here who are wrestling with this truth.
And I pray that you would show it to be true to them. There's some who, they're so caught in that pattern of desiring love and being willing to do whatever to gain it that they've lost themselves. The scars and the pain and the results of that are deep and are profound. I pray that you'd come near to them and they'd hear today not a theory, but they would see today a person. They'd see Christ. And Father, for those who are wrecking their homes by demanding so much love, and Father, would they see Christ And would the pressure be let off? And would we be able to enjoy again living together without fear? We know that it's only in a mirror dimly now, but one day face to face. So, Father, we look forward to the day when Christ comes again and he makes all these things right and new. Until then, would we worship you and praise you and serve you? To Christ be the glory. Amen.